Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send him! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast. My name is Graham and joining me as always, he celebrates P9 like he would a win. It's Luke Holmes. P9 with a win. I love that one, Graham. Love that reference. Probably people aren't <laughs> going to understand that reference without explaining it. But the revelation we had this week. Yeah. Ahoy, what's going on? Uh, absolutely nout. I am pissed off that I missed the IndyCar yesterday on a Saturday of all days. Um, but I'm, I'm, really, I'm doing good. <laughs> that's what nothing you? new, though. You know, not too bad, thanks. Um, that's nothing new, though. They've had multiple races on Saturdays. Yeah, I know. It just caught me off guard that it was on a, on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't watch it because my girlfriend wanted to watch Eurovision, so I couldn't watch it. Oh, good old Eurovision, yeah. Um, I was meant to watch it, but didn't. Uh, how I heard Sweden won. Yes, Sweden won, but Finland should have won. It was, it's weird how it works. Eurovision's Finland, weird like that. Yeah. Sweden probably deserved to win as well, but Finland had the best song. Mm. It was almost like everybody was up like singing along to it, and it was so stupid, such a silly song, but it was good. I don't like gimmicky stuff, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> the I remember last year. I think probably the UK should have won, but because of like I think the everyone Ukraine, basically yeah. pity voted for Ukraine. Yeah. So, yeah. Was, look, Eurovision is just like that, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's literally a popularity contest. Really time, is. But... We sent a turkey to Eurovision in 2008, I believe. Um, so that's how seriously we take it. <laughs> <laughs> you've had some good acts, to be fair, in the previous years, but you've. Oh, we yeah, were cool. Ireland was amazing. Like in the six, I think it was the sixties or seventies or eighties. Like yeah. one, like three or four times. You, you, you've got you're the most successful country. Yeah. Well, joint now with Sweden, but seven times, which is mental. I always remember the uh, t- for some reason it's always stood in my mind the two thousand and five Swedish Eurovision entry. I don't know if you remember it. It was with the Silver People. Um, the Silver. If you know it, you know it. I hope one person at least gets it. But you look up Sweden 2005. I think it was 2005. Um, that was the same year that I think Finland actually won that same year with uh, Hard Rock Hallelujah. Oh, God. I can't remember who what the artist was, though. Anyway, as uh, a throwback. Yeah, your vision. It's, uh, oh, yeah, interesting. Uh, more interesting, I would say, than maybe what's gone on the week of F1. Not a ton has gone on. But, um, what do you mean? Well, I mean, it's gone on <laughs> in the world of Red Bull, but we'll get to that. In the world of Red Bull, mm. well, yeah, we'll see about that. Actually, um, do you want to start there? Actually, because actually, do you know what? Actually, as well, haven't we? I didn't actually have any of these tabs open, but um, like I, I have, I have multiple tabs open. None of them involve Red Bull. So why would you actually catch us up on the uh, what's been going on this week in the land of Red so, Bull? So, as as I'm sure people have seen throughout the uh, start of the season, Nick DeVries has not lived up to expectations. <laughs> Depends um, who expectations you're asking, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure Nick doesn't have high expectations of himself, being a rookie, and having only done one previous race, which everybody seemed to run and go apeshit with, which was impressive nonetheless. Mm-hmm. But you've got to sort of realise the point we've made since that race happened. It was Williams's best track. There were a few so, mitigating factors as to why it happened, but DeVries did do a good job. Both are true. Yeah, considering, yeah, considering what he had to do, fair play to him. But... His start of the season has been less than, um, shall we say, satisfactory. Mm. And as uh, quoting Mr. Helmut Marco, he's been given the yellow card, <laughs> <laughs> which is bizarre to me, saying we've only had five races. I know, but right. that bas- basically means that he's 
um, on a warning to sort of get his act together. And this sort of was intensified by the rumour that Daniel Ricciardo had headed to um, AlphaTauri's factory for a seat fit. Now, this has been completely taken out of context. Mm-hmm. Ricciardo is, in fact, Red Bull's reserve and AlphaTauri's reserve because Liam Lawson is unavailable due to his commitments for Super Formula. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Lawson would be doing it. But when Ricciardo is on duty for Red Bull, he's also on duty for AlphaTauri. So that rumour needs to sort of be quashed. And then, on top of that... Helmut Marko was also quoted in the media saying that Daniel Ricciardo would not replace Nick De Vries in the first place anyway, because there was junior drivers that would take that, that seat first, which interestingly was named as Liam Lawson and Ayuma Uwasa, of all people, which I was quite surprised at. Yeah, that's a weird one. If you've put, you've put Lawson, Uwasa, you can understand. Yeah, Lawson absolutely should be top of that list by far. Yeah, yeah, it has to be. Um, just weird to put if you're putting one Red Bull Junior Ford out of them, like to say a Wasser, like you know, those. But saying that he's probably been the most successful out of the, all the juniors in the F, in F2 over the last year or so. So I can't really say against it, really, can you? But I, I don't think he does. He even have a super license? I don't think he could. Where did he finish in 22? I'll have a quick check where he finished last year in F2. Top six was it? Well, he, I know he, he was nowhere near that in F3 though. He doesn't have the points carry yeah. over like Hauger and the such would have. Uh, let me have a quick gander here. So last year in F2, Wasa finished fifth. Now that would be would that be enough? Yeah, fifth was the fifth was the cutoff. It's forty, isn't it? But it's forty you need. Well, where did Logan finish? Logan finished third, but he would still have the super license points from 2020 from yeah, um, for that super high finish. Though. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not, it's a weird one, but yeah, I don't even know, yeah, cause I don't know if he has a license. Cause if you look back to F3, he was like 12, 13, even probably uh, even lower than that. 21. Yeah, bang on 12th. Yeah, I'm insane. He had less points than David Schumacher, by the way. <laughs> Respectable driver that season, I'll have you know. Uh, one of the ones I enjoyed watching actually in the Trident because of, yeah because of how bad he was to be fair he's, <laughs> his, his season actually after Austria wasn't even that bad no it was actually good yeah. it was just before that it was absolute chaos and everything <laughs> went wrong all the time <laughs> I would, I do agree like it's it should be Lawson because realistically that's the person you would be looking at next to fill that seat yeah. if things don't go if things don't work or whatever happens with Sonoda or whatever um, it would be Lawson rather than um, look. I'm sh- I, look if you're a, if you're Ricardo, you rejected the Haas seat for a reason. It's and to go into an Alfatari seat would basically Which is, go back on that. Yeah, we've literally confirmed this week is the net slowest car compared on, mm. on the data of averages from the last five races. Yeah, it is the slowest. It's close, but Yuki's, Yuki's dragging it into tenth and eleventh, mm-hmm. whereas I think he's outperforming the car considering definitely probably should be like 12 13th which is fine but I, I think they're being a little harsh on De Vries to be honest but he can't be um crashing into everybody every race or crashing himself out to uh, out of the sprint weekend twice it's just uh not acceptable really is it considering he's a Formula E world champion <laughs> you couldn't even and finish that with a straight face I can't yeah, it makes me laugh uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'd be curious to see what Lawson could do against against Sonoda. But do you think? I, I guess I guess I'm going to ask for a prediction at this point now. Do you think we will see Devries replace mid season? Yes. Yeah, I think we will. Based on this, yes, there isn't smoke without fire. 
that's always been the case in F1. So Emirates have got a thing for being ruthless, and if you're not living up to standards, and then one of their juniors is sort of in the lull, which I think he should have been putting the seat to start off with. Mm. To be honest, yeah. Gasly. I know Gasly was contracted to them, but Lawson was basically gonna be doing a year of doing nothing, and he literally got nothing to lose by putting Lawson in. To be honest, it would have sort of showed who's the better out of the two in terms of Yuki and Lawson. So I, I think Red Bull have lost out, if anything, to be honest. Yeah, it's, I, it's my, only, my only question with this is that I wonder what if... I know we saw a weird dynamic in 2017 with Gassi actually losing out the Super Formula title because of wanting to go to F1. And there was that weird weekend where the weather... Uh, well, it monsoon. Yeah, and it got yeah. cancelled and he couldn't win it. Um, but I wonder if just Lawson himself, if he knows he basically has to drive next year, essentially, would he like to? If he's got a chance to compete for the title at Super Formula, not guaranteed, of course, um, would he like to get that check that list off at least? Or do you think it's worth coming over and having that four month shootout or whatever in an Alpha Tari um, at a cost or something like that? I think it's worth it. You think so? Yeah. You yeah. Ah. I don't know. I, I guess if maybe he, he can't do much worse than the Vries. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, I guess he does get a pass, you're right. Yeah. Mid season drop like, in. A mid season drop in on flyaway tracks that he's probably never been to before. Like other than Suzuka, yeah. Yeah. Suzuka and then maybe Kota. A few of the F two ones he's done. Yeah. But there isn't many that he will have done before. So to me, yeah, I'd I take the opportunity with both hands. Yeah, and they rate him very highly. So, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, this would be this would have been a fascinating contest between himself and Vips had Vips not slipped up. Yes, I did because well, I, I did I did rate Vips as a higher of the two drivers heading into last yeah, year. Yeah, so did I. I did. Um, and basically, starting off with the first race, even last year, he should have dominated that. Anyway, yeah, Vips was the uh, main loser of that. He ruined his own career, I think. Mm. Well, yeah, can ex- yeah. Both on and off the track, it seems. Oh, driving, yeah. yeah. Driving, especially, really let himself down. But Baku was so damaging. Baku and Imola were the ones that stick out to me. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, what could have been? Um, Lawson's taken them with both hands, though, to be fair. Like, he's. Again, he wasn't. Like, I still think he wasn't spectacular in F2, but no, he's. No, been... it's not nothing special. I just think he's just better than Nick. Mm. You know what I mean? He's just the best of a bad bunch in it, really. Like, for example, <laughs> I put him on the same level as Alex Albon in F2, for example. Yeah, yeah. A solid midfield driver, I think. Yeah, probably, probably right. More. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Thinking of another t- team that has had interesting things going on, I want to go back to this Alpine thing. Uh, because... <laughs> you don't realise, yes. Yeah, so what I hadn't realised with this last week is just to... Yeah, obviously we mentioned some of the comments that CEO uh, Laurent Rossi mentioned uh, on Canal Plus last week first of all to go on to French television and talk about this stuff was an interesting choice uh, yeah it's bold and then that I thought that was it I just thought every story about this whole thing produced was based on those comments but no nope. Lauren Rossi went then to F1 themselves with Lawrence Barretto yes. yeah and then started talking more and this whole thing's bizarre to like an exercise of what like, the biggest question is just why like why why do Public this? Grilling. Like, is this does this is this is this idea of motivating the troops, so to speak? Like, everyone knows that the season hasn't been as what they would like it to be. 
do you need to compound matters further by going on French television and flaming everyone basically underneath your operation and while basically excusing yourself for putting yes, most of, this, of these do. things in place? Yeah, of course you do. That's what a good leader does. No? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. We'll see what response they get out of them. But uh, but like, oh, what, sp- just... what response can it get out of them? I think the, the problem is... It's just going to piss everyone off. It's no? pissed, it has pissed everyone off. That, that much is certain. Um, I remember listening to the race talk about this and they talked about talked about sources from inside the team that they are quite pissed off about this um, from those inside the team but like, what, like there's something that's going to change like the damage is already done like Aston Martin and such have already got the jump Alpine I think are close but like unless they jump in with their in-season development they are where they are going to be like they're not going to like it's unless they could like it's not going to be able to jump Ferrari or Mercedes or Aston Martin like the damage is already done from that point of view yeah from the start it's, of the season it's too late now but it, it's I, I just think he's using everybody else as a scapegoat rather than taking the blame himself to be honest yeah he's but he's the leader he should be the one taking taking the forefront of why it's gone wrong and, and should be working towards trying to come up with solutions right to what, as to what he can do to fix it rather than grilling everybody else and saying oh this is your fault and it's your turn to sort it's your problem to sort out not mine which is basically what he said. Essentially. Uh, to Almar, anyway. Mm. Well, we said Almar had been quiet. Uh, he did have some things to say about it. Um, we have Motorsport.com and Jonathan Noble. Um, first of all, these are, these, this came as a surprise, naturally, to Otmar, um, who hadn't even had a chance to even read uh, the comments that, that Laura Rossi had said. So I don't think... Did, I, I wonder if he even knew... Completely blindsided. By yeah, it, yeah, I think he's been completely blindsided by this. So this is what he said during the weekend. Uh, These quotes came in a little bit later. He said, "I saw that you wrote something because I saw the headline, but I haven't had time to read it. But we underperformed, underperformed in Baku. The drivers ran into each other in Australia. I think at the first race we had a myriad of penalties, starting with Esteban being out of place. It hasn't been a smooth start to the season. Maybe that's why he made the comments. But I have to read them." Uh, and he went on to say, all we can do is we have issues like Baku is finally understand the root cause of why it happened, make sure it doesn't happen again, uh, or make sure we do either put in the process or the people in place so it doesn't happen again. Uh, and then he went on to say, he went and talked about Australia as well. Uh, to do, he said, I've, when asked why uh, Rossi made a statement, Safra didn't know, but planned to find out. He said, I have no idea and you'll have to ask him. I'll be asking him. This weekend was so busy, I haven't had a chance to discuss it. No. The thing is, right, mm-hmm. I, I, I think we're both in the same boat. We both completely agree with what Rossi's saying in terms of it's not been good enough. Yes. But he has completely gone about this the wrong way. The question is, like, yeah, it's not what, why? but why. Yeah. If, the, if this was me, I would have got everybody together and sort of said, right, guys, it's not been good enough. Let's reset. Now we're back from Miami. Mm-hmm. That was a certain decent result we probably maximise what we could have got and let's build from it and not make the same mistakes for that happened in the first four races and try and push forward because we need to solid, solidify at least fifth because I don't think we're getting any higher than fifth mm-hmm. based on this the car is good let's try and make it great type thing but no let's 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 go and publicly publicly shame everybody in the team make everybody feel like shit and put everybody's backs up and probably make everybody not want to improve because that's what would make me not want to do mm. here's the thing the car is good 
Oh, it's, it's up there. It's not far off the Ferrari on race It place. really isn't far from the Ferrari Mercedes and Mercedes and Lance Stroll's and Aston Martin. Do you know what the most ironic thing of this is? If that was in Alonso's hands, that would be up there with them. It would be with Alonso. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's that's the irony out of all this. Yeah, Alonso in an Alpine would be up with Al- Alonso in an Alpine in an Aston. God, that's confusing. It would be it would be very close. He'd certainly be chopping it up with the likes of Science and Stroll. Oh yeah, the the bat markers. Yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> but there's no. That's that's the weird thing about it. Uh, Otmar himself said that uh, reading like that. He said reading something like that on paper puts no more pressure on us. Uh, Everyone wants to do well here. We're very well experienced with technicians and engineers at the highest level and we put pressure on ourselves so we just have to fix it. There is rumours of a now, I guess, I think there's like rumours of like a recruitment drive from Alpine to try and better this situation. Who are they going to get? Because everybody's gone. (laughs) I don't know. Are they going to go to Alpha Tower and be like, Franz, come save us? (laughs) You know. Or are they going to go and get blooming... Oh, who got sacked from Williams last year? FX DeMason or whatever his name <laughs> yeah. is, you know. It's, oh, there's, there's just so many people that they just can't get anymore because they just sort of realised too late. And yeah, it's, it's not going to work out. They, they need to sort of look within and look at the problems from above because from what I've read and seen on the racers' videos, they don't really see it as a, um, as a team thing thing this sort of see is like a brand exposure type scenario where it's mm. sort of so the owners anyway you're talking about Renault not giving the yeah, race operation the proper support and infrastructure yeah. that it works team should which have. they supposedly do but they don't mm. from what I've seen anyway it could be wrong but to me that whole rebrand as an Alpine has been fucking pointless should have just left it as Renault to be honest yeah, I th- I completely agree with that. The yeah. the race of as always, like you mentioned, they've done an excellent job covering this. Uh, there's a written article by Scott Mitchell, which I think is the inspiration or the basis of the video that you referenced as well. Yes, um, he mentions the Alonso vacuum as well, and of course, it's it's this is obviously something that's important to note as well. Just coming back out of that for a sec, the how would you, would you for Oscar Piastri, for example? Would you think that's more on Otmar's side or Laurent Rossi's side? Because I lean towards Otmar. I think it's Otmar's amateurness that that caused them there, to be honest. Because I think Rossi was confident of having Piastri, and I think Otmar may have lost him. But when it comes to Alonso, it's completely on Rossi. Who, if you remember the pouring from last year, basically wanted to nudge Alonso out of the door for twenty out by the end of this year, and put him in basically put in the LMH program that Alpine have got coming yeah, up. Yeah, which which is, I I couldn't understand why he wants to do that. Obviously, he's thinking of Oscar and he's like, right, okay, I just thought I can't not delay him another year. That's not fair. I get that, but you don't do that to Alonso. Mm-mm. I'm sorry, this is not not how how it works. How it works no. when you've got mediocre on your team. So I would put the blame for Rossi driving out Alonso more so than um, they they than both Omar. lost one driver each. Yeah, uh, there's and then bought in mid. This is an excerpt I'm going to read from the races article in Scott Mitchell Malm. Uh, this is an excerpt you'll see, you yeah you kind of get an idea of it. The current success uh, of Aston Martin hasn't happened by accident, nor is it a coincidence that this success is being led by former Alpine driver Fernando Alonso. Driven away from Alpine because of how much he felt Rossi questioned his enduring ability and merit and the repeated frustrations of unreliable machinery letting him down last year. 
Rossi's comments do accurately reflect the situation insofar as Alpine have done a bad job this season. Maybe Alpine and the team senior personnel needed a fire under their backsides. But scorching the earth, as Rossi has risked doing, feels unwise. A more rational approach might be to consider that there have been some specific circumstances seeing where the next few races go as the season settles down. Especially as, with all due respect to his business and engineering background, Rossi knows little about running an F1 team and is viewing it from afar. Rossi hired Safnar and declared him one of the, uh, declared doing so one of his best decisions ever last year. So it is a bit strange to hear him suddenly putting all the responsibility on Safnar to f- fix things instantly. So, which is yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's really the best decision ever, but it's wrong. <laughs> Makes sense. Rossi behaves exactly how you might expect from a corporate body with a part-time F1 interest. He dips in from time to time to interfere or cast judgment, wielding power and influence when it suits him, but abdicating responsibility for anything that goes wrong. The way he talked about the issue being addressed sums up the situation perfectly. Rossi said he, he needs to tackle the problem, then says he needs the right people to tackle it because it's not up to him. He expressed hope they would make the same diagnosis then said he would make it clear to them what the diagnosis is. So which is it? Is, it, is this Rossi's responsibility as CEO, or is it the team's? Is it Rossi's? If it's Rossi's, why is he free from any blame? If it's the team's, why is he piling in and lumping on pressure instead of giving them the time and space to address the faults as they arise? If Rossi thought this would be a motivational exercise, he has misjudged it. There's a clear feeling in Miami that the comments had gone down like a lead balloon, so you can imagine how people in the team felt when another interview emerged a day later. One senior figure within Alpine said the team, team said the team is best left alone. Another comment was that Safnar is only kind of in charge, so he can make recommendations to those above him, but that's it. It's also been said to the race that to some inside the team, Alpine feels like it's a marketing exercise to Renault with the race team attached. Interference from people who think they have more understanding or expertise than they do and say or do things that compromise the effort of the team or the effort of the people that actually know what they're doing is really damaging. Long-term projects, which Alpine's 100 race plan uh, to be an F1 frontrunner is supposed to be, need patience. There, are, there, are deep rooted, there, are, there have been deep-rooted issues to solve in this team for many years. The process of doing that is bound to have setbacks. Um, yeah, so and it, it finishes off with, for a CEO to unleash two rounds of verbal ammunition on his own troops is a surprising, potentially entirely self-defeating move. Agreed. It's just a weird situation. It's bizarre. It's like my boss coming down to me and going all, all out at me for doing something wrong when I have done nothing wrong. It's, it's very, very strange. Strange uh, strange stuff going on within the Alpine organisation. Um, they've had enough question marks this year with their driver lineup, who have been largely fine besides... I, the, I don't think the driver lineup has been bad, to be honest, apart from... The one from the kind absolute... of freak moment, really, in Australia. Yeah, that that one I, I don't pull down to down to them, and then obviously Ocon had an absolute shit show in in Bahrain. But, yeah, and then obviously Gasly caught up in spring qualifying, but that's that's it really. I, yeah. I don't think it's been too bad to be fair. They lost out on a good chunk of points in Australia, but other than that, like it's yeah. But like I say, it was just a freak, one in a million chance of that happening. To mm. be honest. Uh, speaking of more weirdness, and uh, it's our, everyone's favourite time of the week, it's uh, tyre talk time. Yay. Is it time for new tyres by any chance? Uh, it is actually. Funny you should mention that. Um, wow. Wow. Imagine, imagine my surprise we're getting new tyres again. M- new really? tyres in the mid-season? What a race. Um, would, you, would you believe it? It's actually the British Grand Prix again. 
Is it? What yeah. the why that is? Well, let me tell, let me tell you. Um, F1 is introducing new tyres from the British Grand Prix armour for safety reasons, as it turns out. So let me read a piece from Keith Collentine at racefans.net. The new tyre uh, specification will be made available for all teams to test at the Spanish Grand Prix next month. Pirelli intends to introduce the revised tyres to the British Grand Prix in July. Under F1's rules, a range of compounds to be used during a season must be determined by December 15th of the preceding year. <laughs> However, it can be changed with the FIA's approval. Uh, this is what Mario Isola, who's head of uh, motorsport uh, for Pirelli, uh, he said, we've seen how much more the performance of 2023 cars have compared to last year throughout the opening races of this season. And that is thanks to the extraordinary pace of development shown by all 10 teams. In Miami, for example, the pole time was only two seconds faster than last year, but the same sort of progress has been uh, during the races as well. Pirelli's simulation work has always been aimed at not only supplying a, supplying a product that hits the performance targets specified by stakeholders, but also anticipates any potential problems and reacting to them quickly. Uh, and he said, the new, material, new specification contains materials that we've already developed for 2024, which will, which will make the tyres more resistant without affecting any of the other technical parameters or their behaviour on track. To allow, to allow all the teams to test a new construction on a level playing field, Pirelli will supply two extra tyre sets to be used in FP1 and FP2 of the Spanish Grand Prix, which is coming up during the, during the triple header. So, um, well, First of all, mm. how hard was that to say on a, a scale of 1 to 10 without nothing? We try to produce a good product. <laughs> Second of all, mm. why are they only just doing this now? Surely they would have seen this in preseason tested, no? Um, or, or, or do you even mention? Do you even uh, think about even the? I know they tested like I know they tested with last year's cars, but like yeah, you've, it's like you've had. Uh, yeah, it's the weird thing. The weird thing to me is like we, the tires are shite as they always have been, but. It's not like they've been blowing up every five seconds. No, they're just overheating. They're it, just so. shit. Yeah, Carlos Sainz has talked about this as a Ferrari as well, and like, yeah, like it's t- drivers just can't lean on the tires. It, but like, that's just that's just normal Pirelli things. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's to me like we've here's how we can summarize the tires this year, right? The softs are basically for qualifying only, or a last mm-hmm. lap, or a last stint sprint if you've got a late safety car or red flag. Mediums go off after about, mm, let's say, 19, 20 laps, give or take your your track based on, on lap scaling. Um, and people try, drivers have been somewhat afraid to push on it a little bit. And then yeah. the hard tire does the entire race. Yeah. There you go. Bravo. Whereas we go over to the Firestones in IndyCar, where they've got two different tires. One of them is the faster tire. And you can do 20 continuous push laps on it before it decides to just fall off a cliff, which I think is the perfect balance. And then you've got a harder tyre, which is very good pace, but lasts the majority of the race, which is how it should be, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like the perfect balance. Whereas in F1, you can have a soft tyre that does three laps and then just dies completely. Fantastic. It's ob- it's completely obsolete. Um, you may as well go back to the, the being prime and option. Like the, It's just become a qualified yeah, tyre, really. Um, or a tire just trying that was sort of staying. Go on. I was gonna say you've got like a, like a, like a tire basically to um, start the race on, make up the places, don't for a safety car or a red flag. Yeah, that's it. Karin Chando was saying that F one needs to Im- implement a rule where we have to use all three compounds in a race. I like that rule. No, thank actually. you. No, no. You like that's it? That's stupid. No, it, I, I like it. I just think it's done based on what the tyres are not the current state of the tyres are in. Because mm. no, we're just going to get everybody pinned on the last lap. Yeah. Fastest lap. 
Yeah. Oh. You know what I mean? It's just it's just pointless. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, you talk about kind of the cliff aspect of things. Gunter Steiner was speaking over the other weekend, and there's, a most, there's an article on motorsport.com from Philip Clearan, um, and he said, "I think we just need." To, he said, "I think we just need to look into the tires. We always complain when we have drop off. We always complain when we don't have it. We need to make up our minds uh, what we want because I think Pirelli deliver both ways, and then we say it's too much, so it'll always be difficult." But I think we also shouldn't have jumped to conclusions after last week's last weekend's race in Baku. We had good races the, uh, races this year with overtaking, so we should look at them and try to replicate them, and not be not and not just being sour about what happened last week. Um, so he's, so basically, make up your mind one way or the other. Have them at last. Have them yeah, at drop he's off. He's right. Yeah, he's right. Can't have it both ways. Mm. Uh, this is but all. You can. Yeah. <laughs> This is all in the same week where Roman Grosjean, obviously former F1 driver, had some interesting comments to say about wet weather tires. We, we, we all know how, we love, how much we love this topic last year. Um, Yay. These are things, he, this is what he said. Um, I'm reading from RSRRacelance.net and Keith Collentine. He said, the good thing is that we could say flat out on the straight because we have good tires. So I feel my life is a lot more enjoyable than I'd known in the past. <laughs> For fuck's uh, sake. He's obviously referencing. Um, obviously, they were in Indy this week or last weekend. Uh, the weekend just gone, and obviously, one year ago this race, there was a madness of a situation where he had flipping Colton Herta on dry tires going down the main straight in a soaked track. Um, yeah, literally ampato, literally flat out, bizarre, on dries on slicks. Yeah, racing slicks that were not brand new; they were used, and they were flat out. And I mean, it was. I'm saying it was dribbling with rain it was shocking it down i haven't seen rain like that in a long time it's crazy um but like they're wet their tires work they they have fascinating race dynamics i know like here's the thing like i know there's refueling but to be honest even looking at the race of the weekend the refueling wasn't even an issue like it was like it wasn't even like the tires were the much larger factor i know everyone doesn't want to have refueling that's fine but you can't, if you don't have refueling, you need to have some dynamic with the tyres to give us something to work on. And that's what IndyCar does brilliantly. And they have tyres that actually work, both wet and dry. Yep. It's just like, it's, again, I, th- I think our problems are so, NFO are so compounded by the fact that the tyre supplier is so incredibly shit. And ev- everyone just accepts this. Like, they just accept the reality, not the fact that they accept probably shit. They accept this F1 as it is now because they haven't known all these new fans haven't known anything else other than these shitty Pirellis this all I've known uh, really I didn't really pay attention to much of the Bridgestone and Michelin era because I wasn't old enough to understand it it was brilliant the tyre the tyre war was brilliant like and we had tyres that worked and you like any, you ask any F1 driver who has used Bridge, Bridgestones and Pirellis between that crossover oh, point Alonso Weber Button Hamilton, Hamilton etc Hamilton not as long but still enough um, to be fair, Hamilton's a different, slightly different in the sense because he came in at 07 when everyone w- switched to Bridgestones when yeah. there was just the one tire supplier. But he still had the 09 slick Bridgestones, which I think mo- I think a lot of drivers, at least certainly on Alonso and Weber, rate extremely highly. Mm. Um, I think it was oh sorry, maybe more so 2010. Ugh, it's just so annoying. They just. Please, like for the for the sake of the sport, I think we just need a tire supplier who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so annoying. Anyway, there's your tire rant for the week, and it's not going to go anywhere. Um, with this, with this yeah. Because uh, here's the thing: the, the, 
these tyres that they introduced here at Silverstone, they could potentially make things worse. They'll probably be too hard now. <laughs> have the mediums that they do the whole race. Yeah, all the softs. <laughs> C5s do the entire race. Brilliant. Yay. Oh, dear. Anyways, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, a possible Honda Aston Martin link up, engine link up for 2026. This seems like it's heading towards a likelihood. The race reporting this week that it is looking likely and that it is things have stepped up. Well, uh, meaning from Scott Mitchell, ma'am. Multiple sources have indicated to the race that Honda will commit to the new regulations after all, with Aston Martin, currently a Mercedes engine customer, tipped to be its partner. So, I, there's a lot of. Yeah, look, this makes sense. Mostly from Aston Martin. I think it's largely Aston Martin's ambition here, play here. Again, yeah. going back to whole a works engine, I think will have a better chance of taking to where they want to be compared to, you know, a um, a customer Mercedes deal. And the fact that no one else is going to read, I think there's a likelihood that Aston Martin might be the only team to run Hondas. So again, a You're team well. will enjoy that sole works benefit. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I mean, we kind of talked about it in passing, but yeah, I think that is... I think it's, it's an interesting tie-up anyway, because you've already got some Red Bull engineers there, so they already know what it takes to sort of mm. embrace that Honda-style relationship into a team, which is it's a weird link-up, considering Aston Martin was a Red Bull <laughs> title sponsor, and then Honda was a Red Bull partner, and now they're both making moves to join up together in a separate entity it's weird mm. very strange no. but I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see Alonso in there a Honda engine mm. but you know uh, the other link of course is that um, Martin Whitmarsh uh, also helped broker the deal uh, for McLaren in 2015 yeah and then left and then left before that partnership fell apart so Scott Mitchell Mam notes his relationship is almost certainly intact yeah um, the Alonso vacuum again is interesting but it's, it might even be racing it by 2026 who even knows don't be silly, of course it will be. Yeah, I like. Think you you think he's going to back out of a team if it's winning titles? <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, unlikely. Um, so yeah, I like it. Um, I like the tie-up. I think it's a, it's a win-win for both. I think yeah. Honda stay in the sports like they seem to want to, uh, all and off, <laughs> and Aston Martin get a works deal essentially. Do you want to talk about uh, you, how much of IndyCar do you actually watch? Actually, do you get a chance to no, watch anything? Highlights? Literally nothing. Um, our boy... I saw one incident and that was it. Was uh, <laughs> so basically, I would say to sum this up, it was actually I don't know. It was a it was fun at the front for a bit, but it was one of those weird races where like a lot of the big names were just so obscure and did absolutely nothing. So like McLaughlin, Grosjean, uh, Will Power had somewhat of an excuse after being yeah. turned around Crash by work. Kirkwood. But to be fair, Power put him out there in the first place. Yeah. So I don't actually don't even blame. Well, actually, I want to ask you this. Actually, the the penalty they gave they they some they did deem uh, Kirkwood to be at fault for that incident, even though I think I actually don't think he should have been. But the penalty was that he was made to drop behind Power, who had dropped on a twenty something place, twenty second, twenty third. Do you? I was going to ask, like, would you like to see F one adopt a similar thing where because you have got drivers constantly talk about five second penalty isn't enough, ten seconds isn't enough. Would you prefer to see a situation like that yeah. where they adopt like, okay, you spun that driver around, they're now at the back. You now need to drop behind that driver. Yeah, and that's it's just how they fair. would do it. We would do it in a safe manner. I don't think I'd want to be able to police it because they're they're too busy focusing on what everybody thinks of what is safety and what have you. So hmm. I, I don't think they would, but I would like to see it. Yes, 
because I think that is a more fairer penalty. Because what we used to do in league racing, wasn't it? Like, well, gentlemen's kind of yeah. thing. It's what you do now in your racing. Like, you, you take someone out, you wait for them, at least. And then if you get a penalty after it, right, fair enough, you take it on the chin. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things, isn't it? Yeah, it does a lot too, I guess. Um, Soften the blow a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I guess to not defer deteriorate relationships, so to speak. The only F1 example I can think of this was back in 2005 in Japan, where Alonso was a judge to have overtaken Christian Clean um, not cleanly. And because Alonso was so much quicker, of course, but he'd overtaken the car too by the time they basically asked Alonso to drop behind Clean. So he had to give up that, those places to drop behind Clean. It's the only F1 example I could think of where that, something mm. even close happened. Um, but yeah, didn't stop him getting a podium that day. But yeah, I just thought that was, that was, a, that was, the, that was the angle I wanted to ask you. Because yeah, I thought that was very interesting how they did it. Even the commentary box there saying that was, an, that was unusual. So It is. It is very unusual. Um, our boy Christian Lungar qualified on pole. I think yes. he would have been good for to compete for the win, but they had a they split the strategies. They weren't sure whether the 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 reds or the black tire was the one to be on in the mid stint. Palo went mm-hmm. black, uh, Lungard went red, and that was really it. And they caught Eilat at a bad place on the first stint where they could have taken the blacks a little bit further. Um, and that yeah, so I don't think Lungard got as much out of the first stint as he could have, maybe should have. Um, so it was unfortunate. I think, yeah, it was one of those tough calls. Like you do, you just, you, again, it's one of the fascinating title now. We didn't know which was the better choice, the reds or the blacks. And, which is what they call them, by the way. I, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, it was fascinating. Uh, sadly for Lungard, the, all the McLarens basically swarmed him. By the way, a two, three, and five, I think, for the McLarens. Yeah. So pretty good. <laughs> Uh, Pelot obviously pissed away at the front but yeah a weird race where like a lot of the big names had nothing races and the battle at the front was fun for a bit but yeah Pelot pretty much uh, it was a pretty easy win for him in the end and he leads the title now heading into the um, Indy 500 qualifying next week hmm. so and of course we know double points for the Indy 500 yeah so yeah it's it's set fascinatingly for the uh, Indy 500 I think Pat was right there as well so yeah, another second place. Mm, another second place, yeah. That's where he finished last year's Indy 500 as well. So it was good fun, though. Um, yeah, but it was a bit, of a, a, bit, a bit calmer of a race, shall we, shall we say, than maybe um, the last one. But yeah, good win for Polo. Anyway, um, shall we move on to a... Before we move on to an Imler preview, we've got a triple header coming up. I want to look at a few big really? pictures. Yeah. Yeah, we wow. do. Yeah. Um, Imler. Oh, what's the order this year? Uh, is it Monaco first? Is it Imola, no, it's Imola, Monaco, then Barcelona. Then Spain, yeah. So, big three weeks, I think, in the title, because I think, I think straight away, if you're talking about who needs a good triple header, who's under pressure, who needs who needs what, like, what would, I just want to look at the bigger picture thing coming out of this triple header. I think top of that list would probably be Sergio Perez. Yeah. I don't want to say this is make or break for his season, but in some ways it kind of is. If he's there this at this point, I know. If, if he comes out of the the mid season triple header, not mid season triple header, early season triple header, then with some decent points, then I think we can seriously consider him as a title contender. Yeah, I think so as well. And I sort of think you can sort of write him off, pretty much, because I think this is the point where he pretty much died off last year, and you sort of went back to being very mediocre for a while until we got to the latter point mm. of the season. Where we got to the flyaways, and then it came good again. It just, yeah, 
this will be big, a big test for him anyway. He's 14 points behind Verstappen now. If he finishes... He can come out of this. Mm. If he, if he, heck, if he even had the same similar margin coming out of triple header, that's a, I think that's a win for Perez. As, as long as he's second in all three of them races, I think he's still in it. Oh, I know. I, I, I would like to think he will get at least one win, considering he's king of the streets. But um, <laughs> if he at least finishes second, then I'm not going to write him off to, <sighs> just yet. I don't know. That, that, I would say that's the bare minimum. He has to be a second at least. I think the, the bare minimum gone. is he has to win at least one of these races. He does, he does. But I wouldn't say it's the be-all and end-all if he doesn't. See, I think it is. Cause if he, because I, I, I personally think the Rebel's going to blow up in one of these three races. I think if he finishes second to Verstappen in all three of these races, that's twenty. That's he's 35 points behind, essentially, give or take fastest lap points. Yeah, but I'm sort of saying that Alonso's going to win all three of these races. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but giving Verstappen a 30 plus lead it's again like it is a situation you're right where one an engine blows up and a win for Perez and a DNF for Verstappen and all of a sudden it's you're right back there but it's just such a dangerous lead to give Verstappen heading into that point of the season and it's like well you know he's it's it's a little bit on a knife edge but you're right in a sense that it wouldn't be the I guess you're right like it wouldn't be the be all end all because one engine failure say Austria or Silverson for example and we're back at a point where I said it would still be a win, where it's 14 points. So, I, But I do think he definitely needs to win at least one of these races. I think if he can keep it under 20 points heading out of this, I think that's a win for Perez. So, But these are three big races for him. And like you say, Monaco's got a good chance. He won the race there last year. Somewhat circumstantial, but kind of not, not really in the same vein. Like, yes, Ferrari threw it away. But Perez was great as well. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I agree. He needs to win at least one of these races. And... Uh, I think that's a good. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, good triple header for him. Verstappen's the interesting one. Is like, I like this. This triple header it doesn't. Really. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just. It's so much more for Perez than it is for Verstappen. Yeah. Um, looking at again, who else would you have um, looking ahead at the triple header? Who needs a good one? Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, you've got the the car coming. The the big yeah, big updates coming at Imola this weekend. So, then obviously, they're not going to be on page straight away, I don't think. Because I think they're going to take a couple of races to at least understand it. And you can sort of write Monaco off as that. So, you're sort of going to say, post-Barcelona, we'll see the true potential of that car. But I think for them just to see the correlation of it working is going to be huge. If that car still doesn't work after Barcelona, then they're on the shit. I still, so. I still think they're in big trouble if they're the same gap away in Imola with the upgrades than they were before the upgrade. Yeah, I agree. Um, this upgrade really is about salvaging their twi- anything they can salvage in 23, but it ha- it is obviously more so towards 24. Mm-hmm. That's that's where we're at with the Mercedes. They are, they have obviously self admitted that their concept just isn't the one. So it is about that. It is about, can anything be salvaged from this season, but looking more so to the, the next season. Um, yeah, so we like. I think Spain is going to be the race. I think that is more important to them out of any of these. Yeah, yeah, I agree because that they had some pace there last year. Mm. Similar, there was yeah. very, very, very unlucky. <laughs> Lol. But Lol. even to what you're saying, like the first race is Imola. The second, like the first race with it is Imola. Like that's it's the first race. Second one is Monaco, which you know 
you can write off. It, it literally doesn't matter with Monaco. It's not a normal track. Mm. And, but then Spain is one where, like, yeah, we need. They, they, they I think got there's abundance of data yeah. on that. That's that's the thing, because it was doing um, plenty of races there over the years. You can sort of reference certain things with the car and seeing how it's going. Whereas Emily, you've only got a couple of years of data to go off, and mm. it's. It, I just think Barcelona is very crucial for them. Yeah. Very, very crucial. Um, it'll be. I think it's, it's it's more so the introduction of their first kind of high speed kind of element for that car because there's not a ton at Imola and Monaco even less so, obviously. Mm. Um, Spain will give them that mix. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what the how that car car lies. We have big big triple header for them, obviously starting at Imola. Um, I'm going to throw Ferrari in the same vein. Yes, you have to considering they are bringing a new suspension to Barcelona, mm-hmm. which will complement the floor that they bought last week in Miami. Yeah. But obviously, just just get their season properly going. It's been a bit of a trunt, like it's been a struggle, and Leclerc could do the good triple header here, and he could look. We saw not crash, not crash. That's going to be an important one, um, especially in Monaco. Please, for God's sake. And look, we're talking about like he managed to steal a pole at Baku, to steal a pole at Monaco. That's fifty percent of the job done. Essentially, they they could win the race in this triple header. It could happen. I, yeah, I, I think if one's if one of the teams going to win a race this season. And it's the triple header is the place to do it. I think just especially in Monaco. Mm, both you stick it on pole. Both Aston Martin I've... and Ferrari have to circle that Monaco race as an opportunity. Like we could do something here. The thing is, the Aston Martin and the Ferrari are very, very good on traction. Very, very good. So if you stick it on pole in Monaco and don't cook up the strategy, then it's it's ninety nine percent done, isn't it? It's literally down to the drive not put it in the wall yeah. at that point two years so. in a row we've seen Leclerc get the job done on the Saturday it, it can't like, and we haven't twice we haven't we've seen him twice not be able to for different reasons of course one one for his own fault and then the second one for Ferrari's an absolute shambles of it yeah this will also be very very big in considering Leclerc's contract and what have you because if they caught Monaco up again then um, yeah I don't think it's going to go down very yeah, well. This this was this part of the season was the beginning of things unraveling somewhat last year. We like you could you think of the same kind of like Baku was around this close to this time last year. You had that, you had Monaco, you had Spain. Those were three extremely damaging parts of of Leclerc's season last year for his title bid. Yep. So it is a big time for them. Just just again, just operationally, you can kind of into the midst of the season now. You're kind of you know you're into it. But yeah, they need to get their season going. And they're, I, I actually believe more in Ferrari for Monaco than I do Aston Martin right now, just based on what we've seen yeah, from Baku and that Leclerc being able to steal a pole. And he's, look, he's, again, we've seen that car in qualifying, but it is going to be harder for uh, Red Bull to do anything about that in the race. I, I do think the Ferrari is faster than the Aston Martin when they get the settle right. Yeah, you're probably right. I just think the setup margin window is just that small. They just can't get it every time. Mm. Like, like in Baku, like I think they're comfortably the fast, second fastest car, easily. Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, in Miami they did not get it right, and it, yeah. I think a big triple header for science as well. Who? <laughs> I, oh. don't, I don't, don't know who you're on about. You know, there's a second driver at Ferrari, right? Was there? Yeah. Strange. Apparently, not seen one. Not seen one since since um, that work. <laughs> um, in 2019. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's very, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he just get 
if you can just get, I'm not even looking for results, just get somewhat understanding of how that car works. And if you can be close to Leclerc, then I think that's... Three tenths, that's all I asked for. Just be comfortable with the car. If you can be comfortable with the car, then I think he's in a good place. The rest will come. Yeah. It just shouldn't be happening seven or eight races into the season. Yeah. Um, Also, it's three years today at the anniversary of the the day that Carlos announced he was joining Ferrari, so thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. Happy memories, eh? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, Who else do you have as a driver or a team looking that, yeah, they could do with a good triple header here? We've spoke about them for a good 20 minutes at the start of the We have the boys in blue. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no explanation, really. Yeah, nothing to add, really. Uh, I'd like to see a good... I want to see how McLaren build on their... on some of their well, stuff. First of all, they need to sort the shit out mm. and not, not get knocked down in Q1. That, that would be a good good start. So... Yeah. And they went good here last year. The only podium of the season from a non-top three team. Hmm, you're right. Yeah, so... And obviously, Norris goes well there, so it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a win. Mm. I imagine. There's a great piece on racefans.net from Will Wood and RJ O'Connell. Um, from it's a new name. About he's their American correspondent. He's reviewed a few articles. Is he? You've mm. never mentioned him before. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, about how McLaren are slightly happier um, with their long-awaited upgrade. There's a lot of quotes here from Andrea Stella. It goes into some fast, some really cool technical stuff. If you're interested, there's a lot of quotes, but if you're interested in some technical stuff and understand some, some, some car side stuff, um, I could read some of these out or all these out. So, uh, yeah, so because again, I like when team personnel open up on this kind of thing. Like some, some, some play their cards close to their chest, some actually talk about it. And it helps, I think it just helps broaden the, the general understanding of how complicated these things actually are to get. Mm. So I'll, I'll read a quote from some quotes from Stella here, and you can see if anything pops out, or if, you'll yeah, you'll probably def- you'll definitely learn something. I think, anyways. Uh, do so. Just reading from the paragraph before, um, the emphasis on car strategy downforce to ground effect with the current generation of cars is so great there are so many nuances and details that teams have to consider when it comes to bringing modifications to this crucial area of the car, uh, this being the floor, um, which I think, I think it was Matt Harmon or something has said in the past for the Alpine director, technical director that. It's like ten times more important to get the floor than the new wing and the front wing on these cars. That's how much the floor matters. So Andrea Stella said, "This is also why you don't you don't only have to get the basic concepts right, which is something we haven't done for the start of the season, but also starts to become a game of millimeters here and there. For instance, all these geometries they just they just accommodate uh, vorticity, yeah, the whirling motion of the air." And millimetres here make the difference. They make the difference for our stable vortices when they travel. And also it makes a difference for porpoising. So really the name of the game now in terms of getting the flow right is understanding what is the high level concepts that you focus the development on. And it's a real game of millimetres. A small level of upgrade is also changing the concept of the beam wing. This beam wing configuration is now split and is overall just more efficient. We plan to keep developing this area of the car as well for the rest of the season. Floor-wise as well, I would hope that we have another couple of developments at least over the course of the season. As I said before, it's very much a game of millimetres. If you change the fences, then you need to adapt something else as everything's connected and three-dimensional. 
it's difficult to find a detail that works in isolation. So that's why I say I hope it's another couple of developments because the reality is going to be a completely different new floor and it takes time to produce. For when you release the geometry to production to when you actually land the floor trackside, it can take almost two months. That's fascinating. Hmm. Um, do, 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 do. Still went on to say, this generation of car is also better correlated, at least... McLa at least at McLaren, knowing we have some lim limitations with the wind tunnel. I think the limitations of the wind tunnel with the previous generation of cars was very restrictive, not only for logistics and all and all things that we say all the time, it was even restrictive for the edge and our correlation generally. These cars, a lot happens under the floor overall. Uh, the correlation is better for whatever reason. In previous generations, there were many vortices that were flying in the free air, generated from the barge boards, for instance, or the front wing. So that area is always a little bit more tricky. This front wing works further away from the ground. It's simpler. Even the floor, for some reasons, correlates better. So overall, I think this is more to do with the generation of cars and these aerodynamics. And he says, I cannot, I cannot tell the numbers of aerodynamic efficiency, but let's say that for here, we're expecting something that was like maybe two or three tenths. That's what we were expecting. And generally, we think that's what happened. This is very rough, really, because of the different track, the new tarmac was very rough. But I think in terms of competitiveness, it looks like we are slightly happier than we've been so far in the first three races. Hmm. So what we saw as an underwhelming aspect in Miami, they're seeing it as working as they thought, even slightly happier. Okay. So we'll see well, how that like translates. It. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We'll it's see how that translates. Sure. I mean, Baku was good. Yeah, no, Baku's okay, but... Um. It was, was not. Mm. Miami certainly was not. So this triple header, I think, is going to be a good... We're going to see where the land lies a little bit more with McLaren on the season. We could have seen one very up, one very down. Let's see where things are in between here in these three races. Mm -hmm. So a big triple header for them. I just thought that was fascinating. I just like when um, people like that open up on the, some specifics. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, do, do, do. Anyone else in the midfield? I'd like to see Bottas, see how he gets on. Who? <laughs> right um, I don't know who that is he hasn't turned up this year apart from <laughs> qualifying in, in Miami that's mm. about it Alpha is him looking to as well obviously we talk about Nick DeVries he's going to be one to int of interest to watch again let's see Yuki Tsunoda mm -hmm. if again we're going to because he had a good he didn't have as good of a start as he's having um, compared to like this year he's having a better start than he did last year and we thought last year he started off pretty well yeah um, after the Spanish Grand Prix was when he began to tail off a bit so I just get interested to see how he continues on but AlphaTario also in introducing a significant floor update as well at Imola uh -huh. so they're going to be ones to watch as well they say which it'd be might... si significant is their word yeah which might make the car a bit better for De Vries then as well mm. so. so that's going to be interesting uh, I fear a little bit for Williams in this stint here I think these may not be some of their better races no, no, 100%, definitely not. You're saying that, I don't know. Spain might be different just because of the last chicane being removed now. And obviously that thing's an absolute fucking miss. Mm. So that one I can maybe see, but we we'll don't see. know until we get there. There's a lot I don't of... know how the cars are going to take it yet. Yeah, there's a lot of twisty stuff leading up to that point as well. Yeah. That may not do well in qualifying in. So we'll see. Mm. Uh, other than that though, kind of, yeah, we just move into a preview of the... Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you want to mention for the triple header? No. Um, in terms of looking ahead and who's looking good. So, 
Imola, right. Now, we know multiple teams will be doing upgrades either here or basically throughout this entire triple header. We'll have teams we'll be seeing yeah, it's, significant it's upgrades. Yeah, it's Imola or Barcelona, basically. Yeah. So, because obviously both. Monaco is quite track-specific in terms of yeah, parts cars bring. No point bringing all those to Monaco because you will just crash anyway, so there's no point. Max downforce, essentially, and yeah. So, I guess... It's tough to really envision what the case is going to be here because, well, we could have <laughs> some... Envision or in Formula E. Because <laughs> I was like, we're going to have... So... I think we could have some movement in the pecking order, but also include mm. some of the top teams as well. Not so much Red Bull, but we could see somewhat different chase between McLaren, Aston and Mercedes, depending on how things go. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the midfield. So for that reason, it's going to be a really interesting weekend just to see where things that are kind of the beginning of the establishment of the new pecking order after first round of upgrades yeah and then i think this will be the point where some teams are like right okay this hasn't worked let's let's just give up let's not bother trying to fix this car this car's done we'll yeah focus on next year's i um, think that'll be spain ridiculous. for a lot of teams yeah which is ridiculous but um yeah it's just what happens so i guess again i just want to see how perez gets on Mm-hmm. Do we have a sprint this weekend? No. Okay, I was going to say, it's like, oh, I didn't miss that, did I? I'm pretty positive, no. Um, it's Austria, it's, it was Baku, Austria. Austria's the mm. next one. A sprint in Spain would have been interesting. <laughs> would it? <laughs> yeah. Monaco sprint, of anyone? Course. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, like, I do think, in theory, based on what we know so far, I would have thought this might be a good weekend for Aston Martin. I don't know. I, I want to say Ferrari will do better than Aston here, to be mm, honest. Interesting. Yeah, I, I just I, I have a good feeling. But that's always come back to bite me anyhow, <laughs> so probably not. Uh, again, the Mercedes Vector is going to be fascinating. Uh, I just want to see Perez, if he could take it to Verstappen. Do you know what? This is one of the races where he was... Act- I remember his first season Red Bull. He was he caught in the front row here, I think, ahead of Verstappen. Yeah, and then spun. Uh, did he spin? He spun at the end. He did what Albon spun. Albon did. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I remember that now. Mm. So maybe, so hopefully none of that, <laughs> if we want a title fight. But yeah, um, again, with the gap being 14, he needs, again, minimum P2. But again, it moves him. Again, it's just inches for staff of the way. So we need a good response from Perez after this the week, the, the Miami race. Uh, again, Mercedes vectors will be fascinating. Though I'm, fa- I'm looking forward to those three teams, Mercedes, Aston, Ferrari. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. So I, I will really look forward to that. Again, Alpine versus McLaren. See what happens there. Uh, again, I want to see again, I want to see how close Alpine are to the, the others as well. Yeah. Looking good there. Big weekend for De Vries. Uh, obviously, notable public pressure. Needs to go well there. Uh, obviously, a home race as well for AlphaTauri. Of course. They use this track very often. Mm-hmm. So, Big weekend there. Uh, Snowda, again, i fascinated to see with that update as well for AlphaTauri. But uh, who else are you looking forward to? Anyone else in the bottom midfield? Not really. Anyone, really. They, they, you've mentioned all the ones that are sort of stand out. Mm. Just everyone's sort of... Yeah, I, I, just, I genuinely just think it's a big... It's like race one again. Yeah, I agree. In that sense. It's just... You're basically re-establishing everything. Even though we've already seen the basic backing order. It's just seeing who can really relaunch their season, shall we say. Hmm. And again, just because it doesn't go well at Imola doesn't mean that's really indicative for the rest of the season. I do think no. by the end of Spain, I think is when we begin to shape things a yeah. little more. 
just because I think you've sort of got to take it with a pinch of salt. It's very going to be very cold there. It's never normally warm in Imola. I know it's a bit later this year, but I still think it'll be... It's always cold in that region, so why not? I think they'll struggle with the tyres, so bravo Pirelli. They also had some pretty devastating floods recently as well. Yeah, they did. So, yeah, could be... Would be interesting. The, weather, the weather angle will be an interesting one for sure if it crops up again this year. It always crops up, doesn't it? That's the thing. So, if this was a wet race or qualifying, is there a driver in particular you think that leans towards more, perhaps? Oh, Max, obviously. And out of maybe the, the Ferrari, Aston, Mercedes angle? Leclerc. Try Leclerc, interesting. Yeah, I don't know why. I would have thought Alonso. How do you rate Leclerc in the wet? Uh, mid. Yeah. Yeah, has, I just think he's got something to prove, so he'll go out and then crash. Has he had like a like a really good wet weather drive? Uh, not that we've seen. Do you remember Japan last year? He was solid a second. He was squabbling with Perez at the end. Yeah. But yeah, obviously they were very off at the face of Verstappen. Yeah. Um, obviously, he notably the big one he flunked, of course, was Germany 2019. Yeah. Which is a uh, yeah, tough one, but yeah. I thought I think I think Alonso would be the one that suits. Alonso and Hamilton perhaps, if it was wet. Mm. Um but yeah, Mercedes, yeah, could be a... Do you think they hold the biggest key to the weekend in terms of the season going forward? Because I think they do. Yeah, probably. Um if that update hits then they're gonna be a fascinating factor for the rest of the season. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> as boring as the season will be I don't want that to happen mm. and I'm not talking I about more so that. I'm not talking about the front like I'm not talking about Red Bull yet I'm, it's more so just no that is not going to happen <laughs> I don't think so period yeah I gotta say it just very much reestablishes the field so much so it's very hard to really pin specifics that we haven't mentioned already just because it's just going to be a bit of a yeah, a bit of a, like a race 1.5 kind of thing. We're just looking to see and reestablish things after upgrades. And yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, mm. Hopefully, again, not having DRS at this track for like in terms of like the weather has kind of, yeah, taken away from this race. But so I'd like to see maybe just a normal dry race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just wet at this track. I just don't think mixes particularly well for good racing especially no. with these tyres they'll probably show on the DRS zone so oh yeah I look forward to that shit anyways um, do you want to hop into predictions then yeah might as well let's do it right what have you got Verstappen Perez Hamilton Leclerc Alonso wow first time you have Alonso Hamilton in your top three this year I think yeah, yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, I don't want it to be like, but yeah, we'll roll with it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with. I shouldn't. I know it's going to be Verstappen. I'll go with Perez. Uh, yeah, I'm going to predict a Red Bull problem. I'm going to say Perez, Leclerc, Alonso, Hamilton, Russell. Okay. Maybe even Verstappen fifth. I don't know. Something will pop up. Um, mm-hmm. that's my yeah it's just a gut but I, I do I would expect Verstappen to win to do 8th uh, and ninth for Alpine anyone 9th and 9th 10th <laughs> no 
Here's a here's a one. Do you think the top the do you think we'll have the top eight positions filled by the top four teams, or will someone miss out? And if so, who? Nobody misses out here. Okay, you yeah. think everyone's straightforward enough? Yeah, it'll be Barcelona when they miss out. In- interesting. I'm going to say Stroll will miss out. Yeah. Well, they're that, him or signs. Yeah, they're the two you choose, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, should be fun. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I think that's it try for th- this week. Yeah, try to think what else is on. I don't know if... Nothing. It's just it's the five practice sessions for the Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, I was actually know. I was going to actually ask you for a prediction for the Indy Five Hundred qualifying. For qualifying, who's a oval merchant? Who uh, took pole last year? I know Dixon was up there. Oh, jeez, yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's gonna be Scott Dixon, isn't it? Let me pull up the Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, no, it, it was it was Dixon. It was yeah. Dixon. I remember because I got annoyed at it. <laughs> As always, fuck off, old man. Honestly, um, I'm going to say Pato. I like Pato at ovals, and he should have won uh, at the first oval of the season this year. So, mm. I'm go Pato. I think it's time for Pato to win the Indy 500. He came very close last year. Yeah. So, In yeah. fact, he's won Formula One race from Ericsson getting penalised for weaving, <laughs> as he did at the end there. Uh, do do do. So I think they they never make a straightforward look at these results, um, but I think it was Dixon. Did Rina's VK really qualify second last year? Yeah, he did. He did. Yes, I remember. In that, that case, it's Dixon, VK, Palo, Ericsson, Ed Carpenter, and uh, Tony Kanan is actually in the fourth McLaren this weekend. Yeah, he is. So there you go. Yeah, that was, was a top five last year. Yeah, four McLarens. P- uh, Pelo and Ericsson uh, Pelo, Ericsson and me and Award have got a nice balance of competitiveness on ovals and um, yeah. the road courses Everything. yeah and the three courses yeah so they're really interesting um, Ericsson's basically entire title bid hinged on the Indy 500 win last year yeah and then just being consistent that was it so if Pelo or Award can get themselves a good result in Indy 500 this year it's going, they're going to be the forefront of their forerunners for this title, really. Yeah. Um, it does well, have a large. Mm, I it, don't know if it is anymore. If it is, it, like it does have a large say on the season. Yeah. Um, I don't know where. Where did even? Well, in saying that, where did Will Power finish this race last year? Uh, not very highly, was I think. So maybe not. He he doesn't do well at ovals. Um, He's pants at them, in fact. What was the result last year? Uh, Will Power oh jeez Will Power was fucking nowhere where the hell was he 15th yeah shot overs mate uh, Ericsson Award Canon Rosenquist oh please not Alexander Rossi I beg um, Connor Daly Catherine Evans Pagano Pelot finished 9th Ferrucci finished 10th um, yeah interesting I f- oh, Grosjean crashed out. Crashed out, didn't he? He did. So did Callum Yeah. Mm. Jimmy Johnson never crashed out late. Gave us that interesting ending. Oh, we got Taku in this weekend as well. We do. Ooh. He also crashed out last year. He did. That is not a bad shout, actually. I'm not going for Takuma Sai. 
We'll see, man. We'll see. Anyway, uh, that's going to be so much fun. I can't, I can't wait for the end of it. Is there an event? I actually can't think of a racing event. I might be looking forward to more than the Indy 500. At least in, at least in the short term here. No. It's going to be a great day. I really can't wait. It's going to be fun. My birthday is going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at you, eh? Oh, I'm actually jealous. What a flipping birthday. That's got, like, what a birthday present that is. Indy 500. Yeah. Uh, were your girlfriend watching with you, with you or is that like uh, I'm watching she, this on I'm my own her, I'm not seeing her on my birthday you've booked, so. you've booked that day for yourself have you or no she, she's busy so I'm not seeing her till the Monday wow that's like a double birthday almost yeah my birthday will be <laughs> shit anyway <laughs> why do you say that well my birthday's shit on normal anyway so I'll just I'll just celebrate when I, on the Monday instead <laughs> wow no, I don't think I've had a good birthday since I was like five Jeez. Well, this turns sad quick. Mm. Well, maybe this year will change that between the two the two days. Uh, probably not because probably like if Scott Lance Dixon Stroll, wins, Lance Stroll and Scott Dixon win, I'll, I'll just top myself. <laughs> oh, if Scott Dixon wins, I'll just, yeah, I'm just not leaving the ass. Sorry, I can't see you. I'm too fucking depressed because Scott Dixon won again. Yeah. Oh, who? Very, very. I know we could do this next week, but while it's fresh in the mind, very quickly, who is on your please do not win the Indy 500 race other than Scott Dixon? Uh, Ferrucci. Yeah. Um, Jack Harvey. Can't be doing with them. <laughs> uh, like the I can't be arsed. Like, like it's like please no. Obviously, willpower. Yeah. To be honest, I'm growing to like a lot of the IndyCar field. Obviously, Kirkwood. There's not many I don't like anymore. Yeah. Yeah, just them four. Oh, and then obviously the old Pagano and. Yeah, there you go. Castro and Evers. <laughs> yeah. Them fucking <laughs> there it is. Oval merchants from back in the day. Yeah. Fuck off. The ones I can't be arsed with, the likes of Tony Canaan, Alexander Rossi, Connor Daly. Castro Neves. I, I was sort of let Canaan slide because he's in McLaren. Yeah. If he was in any other car, I'd be like, nah. Uh, can't be out of Pagano, really. Ferrucci, eh, whatever. Um, Will Parry, obviously. Kirkwood, I wouldn't be. Kirkwood, I'd be pissed oh, at. Ray Hall, fuck off. Dixon. Ray, oh, Ray Hall, I'm no, not. I'm he's not, fucking shy. There's so many worse, I think. In my mind, anyway. There's, for me, there's so many worse than Ray Hall, to he's be fair. fucking shit. Ed um, Carpenter, Ed Mer fucking Oval Merchant. Yeah. Fuck off. No thanks. Can't, if you can't race any other track than a circle, just don't drive. I'm sorry. Dalton Kellett. He doesn't race anymore. Yeah, but he might race. For, would he race on the Oval, maybe? No, he's retired, retired from racing. Oh, there you go. Well, phew. Yeah. One less then. Uh... Yeah. Oh, Francesco, fuck off. No thanks. Fucking Devlin D. Francesco. <laughs> not a chance. Uh, do you know what? There's actually not as many as I thought that I can't be asked. Yeah. You, mentioned, you mentioned a lot just of main, them. Just mainly, mainly Diggs and Pagano. And, yeah. Mm. I'm, ex I'm excited for the likes of Ericsson, O'Ward, Pelot. If Malukas can get in the mix, if Ila can get in the mix, happy days. Sasho is in between for me. Mm. I like McLaughlin and uh, yeah McLaughlin Lungard Newgarden is fine as well yeah Newgarden um, I, I, I can get on board with I'd be excited to see Renus VK get in the mix 
Yeah, it's not. Probably not. But yeah, those those are some of our Indy 500 wish lists. Um, should be fun. Oh, I actually, I actually can't wait. I might. Oh, I'm. Mm, we'll see. I might see what. Yeah. What? What is it? How long after the Monaco Grand Prix is it? Usually. That's what I was just gonna look. Because I don't want to clash. We'd definitely do a Monday podcast for that, though. Surely. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm booking it now. Expect a Monday, Monday, or sorry, a Tuesday podcast when it comes to uh, the weekend yeah, of the Monaco and Indy 500. Podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, so I can go to yeah. Uh, what time? <laughs> Thirteen days, nineteen hours. So what time is that? May twenty eighth, <laughs> four p.m. Actually, we could do a late one, considering it's four p.m. That's no, that's nothing. Four p.m. Eastern. Uh, four or- p.m. for us. Oh. No, surely not. That's like a morning stash for them. Oh, it says 13 days, 19 hours. What website so are you looking on? I'm on the Indy, I'm on the IndyCar. I imagine it's local. Yeah, it, no, it, to be fair, it always shows me the time in the UK. Are always. you looking on, Are you looking at the app? Yeah, because Ooh. it said May, like last night's race was May 13th at 8.30pm, which it was. It was. Yeah, so it's 4pm. That's spot on. We that, can do it like eight o'clock. Mm, that must be a twelve Beautiful. o'clock. That must be a twelve. That must be twelve p.m. Eastern. Then that's actually yeah. not too outrageous. Hmm, okay. That's fantastic. Oh, there you go. There's a. <laughs> there's some life future planning. Some live organization. Speaking of <laughs> it's which, fucking great podcasting. Yeah, Matteo Nanini won an IMS. Won IMS for. Um, what am I on about? Won in Indy Lights or in the in the NXT, whatever it's called. In the next, yeah. I actually haven't been keeping up with that. Yeah, Chadwick called my 10,000 on that. It's not bad. Not good though, is it? Considering you're an Andretti. Are the other Andrettis up there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, what a, what a fascinating end to, these, to this week's edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast. I've been there. I've been Graham. I have been the milkman. Why not? The milkman? Yeah, for the Indy 500. Oh. Oh. The guy supplies the milk. <laughs> I like Covenale. how I like how Alonso drank milk anyway after the twenty eighteen or seventeen indie. Mm. His man was having milk, win or lose. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we shall. Uh, we shall see you next week. Yes. Goodbye.